I'm Freddie Dale with Dale Farms in Cattle Mills, Texas. You're listening to the latest news in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. Hope you had a great July 4th holiday weekend. Yeah, it's a holiday weekend, but that hasn't slowed us down. We've got another episode of Texas Ag Today ready to roll for you. So jump on in with me. Buckle up. Let's take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. In the news today, USDA released their June acreage report last week, and it showed a drop in soybean acreage nationwide compared to the March report. Now, of course, we don't grow a lot of soybeans here in Texas, very little compared to bigger crops like cotton, but we do have some soybean growers out there. We'll check in with a northeast Texas soybean grower who's expanding his acreage this year. That's coming up to kick off today's show. My name is Kerry Martin. I'm your host along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the piney woods of East Texas to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. When dairy cross calves come to a feed yard, they're going to stick around for a pretty long while. And for feed yards, that's a good thing. I'm James Hunt, and we'll explain that on Texas Ag Today. Mistakes made by first-time ranch owners. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and in my report, we'll talk about poorly negotiated oil and gas leases on Texas Ag Today. Grain sorghum harvest is underway in the coastal band. This is Harvey Buring reporting from the Corpus Christi area. We'll have those stories, plus Texas wildlife news, and a complete look at the markets all coming up. Last week's planted acreage report showed a drop in expected acres of soybeans in the U.S., with the estimate now at 88.3 million acres. Now, we don't grow many soybeans here in Texas, usually a bit over 100,000 acres. But in some areas of the state, it can be a profitable crop. In northeast Texas, Braden McKinnis usually double-crops soybeans behind his wheat. But this year, he put in a few hundred acres of full-season soybeans. So that's kind of a new deal for us. This year, I planted 800 acres. And then behind all our wheat, we double crop beans, which we've done that before. But as far as full season, full length beans is kind of a new thing, you know, just because it's just hard for us to compete with the corn market around here. So we always go a little light on beans, but they look great. I don't know how they'll handle this heat, but in all, we'll end up with about 1,700 acres, double crop and, and first crop. Soybeans are also grown along the Red River, and there has been bean acreage in the Panhandle in the past. We're seeing big runs at Texas livestock auctions this summer as cattle, sheep, and goat producers call their herds to deal with drought. David Fisher of Sonora says he's had no choice but to start culling. In the sheep and goat herd, I really haven't done any culling of my quality breeding animals. Like I said, just cut off lambs and kids much earlier than I wanted to. And that's okay in our market in Texas because more and more we're seeing that be a desirable thing to send to market with with the ethnic um, trade going on so heavily on the cattle side i probably i probably cut 10 percent of good animals that i would have normally cut at this point but 
you know how the summer can be in Texas and it may be right around the corner that we're chopping off another 10 percent or 15 or 20. I don't know what that number is yet. Fisher says the health of his range is his top priority. On a range operation where it only rains 20 inches a year, we got to make sure that the the range health is first or we can't take care of animals. So we just kind of monitor that as we go. And it's not great. Um, but fortunately, we had a banner 21 up until October and we grew a ton of grass. Um, so at least I don't have a bunch of bare ground and it's decent to look at and there's some filler around. So we just kind of monitor that and go one week at a time or one month at a time. And like I say, we just keep crossing our fingers that good rain is right around the corner. The Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service's 8th Annual Texas Sheep and Goat Expo will be held August 19th and 20th in San Angelo. It's the largest event of its kind in Texas and draws industry producers from across the country and internationally. This year's theme is Protecting Your Investment. The Sheep and Goat Expo will be held at the First Community Federal Credit Union Spur Arena at the San Angelo Fairgrounds. Dairy cross cattle can have both benefits and challenges in Texas High Plains feed yards. James Hunt tells us dairy cross cattle may stick around the feedlot for a while. Levi Berry says the dairy cross cattle that come through the feed yards he manages for the Mike Smith Group tend to produce good results at the meat plant. They're predominantly high grading cattle, particularly for our region. Kind of on average, the heifers are great from 85 to 90 percent choice and higher, and the steers would be 80 to 85 percent choice and higher. So they're very good in respect of quality grade, and then not very many fat discounts on them. So pretty high quality beef coming from those animals. But Barry says something else that makes dairy cross calves attractive is the fact that they tend to enter feed yards at much lighter weights than a traditional native beef calf, such as a Hereford or an Angus. That means a longer feeding time for the dairy cross animals, which helps keep the yards full. If you're placing a 300-pound beef on dairy cross calf, he's roughly going to be on feed a year. If you're feeding a 750-pound steer, a native feeder animal, you're going to get roughly 185 days or 190 days on feed. So it takes two turns of those 750 steers to equal the head days generated in the feed yard by one 300-pound placement of one of these beef on dairy cross. That would be the primary advantage of them to going into a feed yard. Another thing to consider at the present time is that there aren't as many ranch cattle available right now due to the thinning of the herds we've talked about. So having a steady supply of those crossbred animals coming from the dairies is also helpful in that respect. But Barry says the dairy cross calves' longer stay in the yards does present a challenge with regard to feed. With that length of feeding period and the volatility in the grain markets, it's a challenge to procure grain and it dramatically drives around the break even when these grains change 30 or 40 cents in a day's time. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. First-time Texas land buyers need to pay close attention to the mineral rights on their new property. Tom Nicoletti says this is one of the most common mistakes new landowners make. Over the last couple of years, there have been a lot of new first-time owners of rural land in Texas. And during that process, there may be times when they're not making uh, the correct decisions in their new endeavor. We'll talk more about this now with Tyler Jacobs of Hall & Hall LLP out of the College Station area. And Tyler, uh, one of the first things that uh, needs to be uh, dealt with is the fact that a lot of times there's poorly negotiated oil and gas leases. Absolutely, Tom. You know, those oil and gas leases can have a very, very long-term impact. 
on a piece of ranch land or rural land. And so nearly 25 years in the business, you see some things repeated that, you know, you wish people maybe had put a little bit more thought into. And and that's certainly the top one. And as people have entered into oil and gas leases without a whole lot of expert advice, you may get asked to lease minerals that you didn't even know you owned. So I would certainly hire an expert oil and gas attorney to help you negotiate those those opportunities. And mainly, uh, not just for the royalty side of it, for the income side of it, but for the surface damage part of it. And where those drill sites can be located, how large they are, what kind of pipeline access do they have, ingress, egress, all those things really need some expert negotiation. And, And in my opinion, the smaller the piece of real estate, the more important that is, because it's really going to affect not only your enjoyment, long-term, it's going to affect your resale value as the oil and gas activity affects the value of your surface. I'm Tom Nicolotti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Grain sorghum harvest is underway in the coastal bend. Harvey Buring has an update from the Corpus Christi area. The last week of June is typically the start of grain sorghum harvest here in the coastal bend area, and that certainly came to pass once again this year. The 4th of July typically marks the time that sorghum harvest is in full swing here, and it appears that that will also be the case this year. What is not going to be typical is the fact that our dryland acreage is going to be yielding a bit less than it typically does. Many of the farmers over in the eastern portion of the coastal bend are still bringing in some good yields in the 3,000 to 4,500 pound per acre, but no bend busting yields have been reported in the five to 6,000 pound category this year, and yields are expected to taper off as the harvest moves to the western portions of the coastal bend. Some of that area was planted very late and uh, waiting on rains that never occurred to get good stands. So farmers in that portion of the coastal bend looking for a bit more disappointing yields than the producers over on the east side of the county and the coastal bend region. Cotton crop desperately needed rainfall in June, and that didn't happen. Much of the cotton went 34 days without any significant rainfall during the peak bloom and the time that it was setting bowls, and that is going to sharply reduce the yield potential, drop it well below the yields that have occurred during the past two seasons, and pasture conditions continued to decline here since our last report. Very poor conditions in the pasture, but recent rains are helping to green things back up. Cattle condition also on the poor side with more and more numbers of cows showing up at the local sale barns. Reporting for Texas Ag Today from the Coastal Bend area, this has been Harvey Buring. There's still plenty of time for Texas anglers to contribute to bigger, better bass in Texas. I'm Jessica Dolmel, and I'll have more coming up on Texas Ag Today. And with the Texas summer heat, it's important to know how horses heat up and how they cool down. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. Take the path less traveled and learn about the diversity of agriculture in the Lone Star State. It's a little education and a whole lot of fun. 
Texas farmers and ranchers between the ages of 18 and 35 can join the Texas Farm Bureau Young Farmer and Rancher Fall Tour, September 9th through the 11th in Amarillo, Texas. Learn about the diversity of Texas agriculture in the Amarillo area. Develop a network with other young producers across the state. Fellowship with one another and make new friends. Registration is open now. Visit TexasFarmBureau.org to register. The Texas Farm Bureau Young Farmers and Ranchers Fall Tour. The registration deadline is August 4th. Reserve your spot today. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. With the summer heat we're experiencing in Texas, it's important to know how horses heat up and how they cool down. Dr. Bob Judd takes a look at the process. Dr. Elizabeth Vertigal from Gent University in Belgium indicates in the horse publication that horses exposed to sudden hot ambient temperatures are susceptible to heat stress. Horses that are able to acclimate can handle the heat better than those that are suddenly exposed to heat. If you have a horse that stays in the barn most of the time under fans and is then exercised out in 100 degree heat and 90% humidity, the horse is still not acclimated to the environment. To understand horses' temperatures, the researchers used a smart thermometer that horses swallow as a pill. The thermometer transmits real-time data about the animal's core temperature, providing a method more accurate than taking a periodic rectal temperature. The research team tested 13 endurance horses and 12 standard-bred trotters as they raced during the cool winter months in Australia. The endurance horses reached their highest body temperature of 102.2 degrees, toward the end of a 25-mile leg of the race. The trotters, however, were the hottest at 101.8 degrees after the race, as the peak temperature occurred 40 minutes after exercise, and they had increased temperatures well over an hour after finishing the race, indicating post-exercise cooling should be commonplace. Horses should be monitored for an hour after racing or intense exercise, and not transported sooner than one hour after exercise, especially in warm or hot weather. Although heart rates are used to determine if endurance horses can continue to race, body temperatures did not decrease in this study even after heart rate had decreased. So the heart rate is not a good indicator of a horse's heat level. I'm Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. There's still plenty of time for Texas anglers to contribute to bigger and better bass in our state. Jessica Domel tells how in today's Wildlife Report. Texas anglers still have the opportunity to enter a drawing to win a $5,000 Bass Pro Shops shopping spree and improve bass fishing in Texas. Tom Lang, director of the Texas Freshwater Fishery Center in Athens, says anglers who catch a largemouth bass that is longer than 24 inches or weighs more than 8 pounds can provide valuable information to the Toyota ShareLunker program through the ShareLunker app. All you need to do is download the app. Take a photo of the fish showing its weight and or length and fill in the necessary information. These bigger bass are not something that we see in proportion to how they are in the population. And so they're harder for us to sample. And so when anglers provide that, that helps to fill in a gap in our data. And by doing that, they help us to make better decisions on how to manage these fisheries for these exceptional bass. Anglers can also help the ShareLunker program by providing scale samples from that fish. Drop them in an envelope, put their ID on it from their app entry, and boom, we can do genetics. 
Each year, the Toyota Shellunker program takes largemouth bass weighing more than 13 pounds that are loaned to the program and selectively breeds them at the Texas Freshwater Fishery Center in Athens. The offspring of those lunkers are then released back into Texas lakes to create bigger, better bass. The loaning period is closed for the year, but anglers can still submit that catch and genetic data. Those who do so will receive a catch kit, a decal for their boat or vehicle, and will be entered into the year-end grand prize drawing to win a $5,000 Bass Pro Shops shopping spree and an annual fishing license. Details are available at TexasShareLunker.com. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. We did not have any market trade on Monday, thanks to the July 4th holiday, so we'll take a quick look back at how things wrapped up on Friday. We'll look at all of Friday's livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Attention farmers and ranchers ages 18 to 35. Texas Farm Bureau has an amazing opportunity to highlight individual achievements, discuss complex agricultural issues, share your Texas Ag story, and be rewarded. Full-time producers can apply for the Outstanding Young Farmer and Rancher Contest for a chance to win a $60,000 prize package. Part-time producers and those individuals involved in other ag industries can participate in the Excellence in Agriculture Contest for a chance to win a $15,000 prize package. Actively contributing and growing in agriculture and the Texas Farm Bureau has its benefits, like cash prizes and recognition for a job well done. For more details and an application, visit TexasFarmBureau.org. Applications are due August 4th. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. All of the agricultural markets were closed on Monday thanks to the July 4th holiday, so we'll take a look back at how things wrapped up on Friday. The cattle market had a positive close heading into the holiday weekend on Friday. We were higher across the board on both live and feeder cattle futures. August live cattle up 202, closing at 134.60. The October up a dollar 20, 139.97. December live cattle up 90, 145.77. Same thing on the feeder cattle market. August feeders up 90 cents at 174.50. September feeder cattle up at $1.42, 177.65. The October up $1.77 at 180.45. Cash fed cattle market last week mostly steady in both the north and the south. Here in the south, most of our cattle sold at 138. That's steady to maybe a buck lower compared to last week's average. Up north, however, they sold cattle much higher. That big spread between north and south continues. The price range in the north was 147 to 151. That's mostly steady with the previous week. Boxed beef was lower on Friday. Choice down 18 cents, 263.82. Select down 10 cents at 240.47. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pins with Larry Marble. Josh and Corey Tilke have Carn City Auction Company, that little auction up on the hill. Josh, how was your last sale before the holiday? Last Saturday, we had just shy of 800 cattle, 200 sheep and goat. Market remained strong on the quality calves. Backer cows might have been a touch congested. Maybe they're backed up a little bit on the on the slaughter, uh, so they were a little off. Walk the pins for us. Steers, two to three weight, 165 to 220. Three to fours, buck 60 to 205. Four to five weight, men, dollar 55 to 180. Five to sixes, 150 to 180. Six to sevens, 142 to 160. 
58 heifer mates, 2 to 3, 140 to 170. 3 to 4 is 135 to 160. 4 to 5 weight gals, 135 to 168. 5 to 6 is buck 30 to 157. 6 to 7 weight heifers, 125 to 140. Older bull yearlings, $1.18 to 135. Long heifers, 98 to dollar ten. Red cows, 8 and a quarter to 1,050. Pairs, 1,000 and a quarter to 1,125. Number 1 yielding packer cow, 71 to 86 cents. Number 2 yield, 45 to 62. And the bulls, 91 to dollar ten. How about sheep and goats? We had, uh, like I said, 200 sheep and goats, kid goats, 25 to 50 pounds, 125 to 210 by the head, 50 to 100, 215 to 415, nannies, 185 to 300, billies, 275 to 420, sheep, 140 to 175, lambs, 155 to 240, and the rams, 290 to 460, Larry. Now, no sale this weekend. No sale this Saturday on the 2nd. Uh, we did get an inch to two inches of rain across the county, which uh, was much needed, so hopefully that's a good start to getting everybody back on their feet. Tell everybody how to get a hold of you. If you can use any of our services 830-780-3382 or on the cell phone 830-623-2855 and the motto down there long live cowboys larry thank you josh and thank you texas neighbors for spending a little bit of time with me at granny marble's kitchen table i'm a grandson larry marble this program walking the pins on the texas farm bureau radio network good day to you Thank you, Larry. Back over to the futures market now. We're lean hogs finished higher Friday. July hogs up 47 cents at 109.60. August hogs up 87, 102.97. Class 3 milk was lower. July milk down 11 cents, 22.42 a hundredweight. The August contract down 40 cents, same price, 22.42 a hundredweight. The cotton market traded sharply lower on Friday. However, near the close, we made up some of those losses. Traders squaring away positions heading into the holiday weekend helped to limit the losses somewhat on Friday in the cotton market. October cotton down 26 points, 105.38. December cotton down 136 points at 97.48. We had a mixed close in the corn market. Old crop corn was higher, but the new crop corn finished lower, pressured by a good-looking seven-day forecast for the corn belt. Rain expected on that developing crop there that pushed prices lower. July, the old crop was up 10 and three quarters, 754 and a half. But September lost nine cents to close at 619 and three quarters. December corn down 12 and a quarter at 607 and a half. The meltdown in the wheat market continues. Last week marked six out of seven weeks that we have lost ground in the wheat market, both hard and soft wheat getting hit equally hard. July Kansas City wheat was down 37 and three quarters on Friday. It closed at 9.11 a bushel. July Chicago wheat down 37 and a half at 8.31 and a quarter. In the energy markets, August natural gas was down a penny, 5.71. August crude oil down 11 cents, 108.32 a barrel. The financial markets were higher on Friday afternoon. The Dow up 321 points at 31,097. The Nasdaq up 99, 11,127. The S&P up 39 at 3,825. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. My name's Kerry Martin. Hope to see you back here next time as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state on the planet, Texas agriculture. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.